Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 14 of the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, John O'White, founder and principal consultant of Clarity. And today's guest is Christophe Durdain. Christophe is the director and partner at Delaware Singapore, Delaware Consulting Asia Pacific, uh, based in Singapore. And Christophe, um, as a partner in the Delaware International Group, uh, which is a global IT services and consulting scale-up, um, he's been there since 2012, involved in building Southeast Asia, uh, focusing on back office automation through core finance, ERP implementations, and information management solutions. Catering to the manufacturing, oil and gas, food and insurance industries, Christoph started in IT consulting with a focus on infrastructure, followed by several years of IT system implementations. After a successful rollout of a laboratory quality management system between 2003 and 2005, he became involved in the setup and optimization of regional shared services. He went on to lead the technical migration tracks for a large-scale shared services transformation for a Tier 1 FMCG company covering finance, logistics, procurement, customer service, and HR. Post the initial shared services setup, he has been in charge of a series of IT optimization projects, amongst which accounts payable optimization, order to cash streamlining and automation, and adoption of electronic invoicing platforms for direct interaction with suppliers and customers, alongside a score of smaller optimization engagements. And Christoph's aspiration is to be a Sherpa to help guide organizations through digital and technical transformation. I love that. Uh, welcome, Christoph. It's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, Jono. It, um, it's good to be here. Before, we, before I ask you about your leadership story, which I'll do in a second, uh, I would love for you to share a, a little bit about where you're based because um, as someone who uh, knows, uh, to be honest, I don't know too much about, uh, about Singapore, even though it's, um, uh, it's, uh, quite a, it's quite common, for, particularly for Australians, you know, where, where I'm based to go through Singapore um, everywhere. But yeah, tell us a little bit about Singapore and about, and about where you're based in Singapore. Oh, um, well, there is two, I think, two different ways to look at, at Singapore. It's the way that the majority of the world looks at it just passing through. Yes. Um, and, and the way that in the meanwhile, after having been here for a good 10 years, I look at how things are here and how life is uh, when on a, on a daily basis. Um, mm. So from um, a macro perspective, uh, people looking outside in, um, Singapore is this idealistic state and sometimes a bit um, totalitarian in some ways. Huh? Um, people will look at it and it's all a bit extreme, but it works. Um, and this is the thing that you start to realize over time. So we have these, um, the, the typical platitudes are um, chewing gum is prohibited. You're not allowed to smoke on the street and stuff like that. Mm. And these things are true. Um, 
but um, the consequence is that you have a very clean city with uh, very little disturbance and rules here are very strictly applied and, and they're typically quite reasonable. Um, and because they are very strictly applied, um, life is nice for everyone. So um, it's yes. like a, a little bit an idealistic country. Um, everything is beautiful. Everything is extremely well maintained. Um, before COVID, you actually could go out and have fun and do whatever you wanted. Um, now, because <laughs> of the COVID situation, it's a bit more uh, controlled and, and a bit more difficult. So I hope that this will be over soon. Um, but generally speaking, it's it's a beautiful place to live. Uh, life is easy. Everything is extremely well organized. Um, so it's it's just good being here. Um, so I I live on a small island right in front of uh, Singapore, right off the coast of Singapore, and the island is called Sentosa. Yes. And Sentosa is like a bit of um, a resort island. So we have Universal Studios and a bunch of entertainment here. And then we have an area where, um, a residential area where I live. And um, it's it's beautiful. So we have palm trees, we have the sea, we have the typical 30 degrees uh, day in, day out. Um, sunshine and everything is smooth and easy and, and it all works. Um, so it's absolutely wonderful to, to live here. Um, it can get a bit small. With this whole COVID situation, um, we're uh, largely grounded, so travel was very difficult, yeah. and it gets small after a while. I mean, we have seen everything, my kids have seen pretty much everything, and you kind of start to crawl up against the wall because you, <laughs> you don't have uh, new things to go and do. Um, but that'll pass, and um, from Singapore, it's an amazing hub to visit surrounding countries, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, and so forth. So we can go and have some fun there. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's a, it's a nice place to live. Well, I'd say, um, I think, and I know we're, uh, we're just getting to know each other on the podcast, but because I'm based in Brisbane, uh, which is another really beautiful part of the world, I think we should, um, I think, Post-COVID, with travel coming very soon, now we're recording this in November 2021, so it's uh, it's it's not far away that we'll be able to, to do more travel. If I'm coming through Singapore, I will definitely uh, drop you a line, maybe to catch up for a coffee and have this sort of conversation face-to-face. -face. Wouldn't that be nice? And uh, the invitation's there to you as well. If you come uh, to Australia anytime soon, particularly up the, uh, the beautiful north end of Australia where I am, up in Brisbane in Queensland, then, um, oh, that just gets me excited talking about post COVID, a little bit of travel and actually being able to catch up with people face to face. <laughs> Definitely can understand yeah, if you're getting a be, bit small. It, it will be amazing to be traveling again. So, I mean, um, definitely uh, the moment that you drop by, I'll show you around. There's cool stuff to see. We can go and uh, have some coffees in some really nice places. And um, Brisbane is a area that I haven't seen yet. I mean, I've been in Australia, Melbourne, Sydney. Um, but I hear there is other places that I really should go and visit. So yeah, that that's in, on the on the bucket list, let's say. So I'll, oh, I'll absolutely. definitely hold you to that. Yeah, yeah, please do. Oh, you'll love Brisbane. I I, uh, I have to say, uh, Brisbane is a stunning part of Australia for anyone looking to travel soon to Australia. That it's a it's just a Brisbane. You have got the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast. You have a lot of hinterland people don't know about where. 
you can sort of be half an hour from the beach, but particularly through winter, you've got these, you know, like uh, it's not great for swimming in winter, obviously, but you're half an hour from the beach, but then you're up in the trees in this beautiful um, cold sort of hinterland areas. And yeah, it's stunning. Anyway, I, I, I love um, Brisbane, but Singapore's also on my bucket list. So yeah, that's, uh, I'm excited about that. But let's talk more about you. I'm keen to know your, uh, your story, the story of how Christoph came to be in the position that you are today and particularly interested in hearing specific stories along the way, moments along the way in your journey that have really shaped you becoming the leader uh, who you are today. Yeah, um, I was thinking when, when I heard that this is what we'll be discussing on, on where to start. Um, <laughs> and I think the, the, the right place to start is when I... so. And this is really a long time ago. <laughs> it's like 22 years ago. Uh, the moment that I, I left school and I applied for my first job. And in that interview, um, I was asked what I want to do in five years' time and mm. what I wanted to do in the longer term. Yeah. yeah. And um, this was, I've always somehow, um, I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs and they all have their own businesses and so forth. So I answered to the, the HR guy. Uh, I answered him, um, I would want to have a company with five to 10 people, people that know each other well. And I think um, I just want to have fun doing interesting projects and so forth. But that's kind of scale with a group of people that you can know and trust. That would be awesome. Mm. And um, I worked for that company for three and a half, four years. And then I became an independent um, uh, consultant. And I took up my, my first contract with um, the, the multinational company that you referred to in, in the introduction. Yes. Um, and um, I worked as an independent, as my own boss, um, with this multinational, which I would stay with for um, nine years. And um, over time, I picked up a few people along the way. But this was organic. And the reason why I refer to this, this organic growth, after four or five years, I had about eight or nine people on my payroll. And all of us were working for the same multinational client. And we were doing amazing stuff. We were traveling around. We were doing technical projects, connecting breweries and, and so forth. I mean, this was a fun period to have. And I had this, I, I realized this, desire of my company of five to ten people that knows each other well and, and so forth and the beauty of the people that i had around me or the organization was we understood each other with a half word so yes there was anything that would happen we would just look at each other and we would know this is the person that can pick up this one or this is the person that should take that one and so forth and we didn't have to make formal processes or systems to support us in, in decision making because we understood each other and it's only until much later that I realized that this is not as common as I thought and that yes. it's actually something extremely valuable. Um, so this reference for me is today a very important one because in uh, I, I started my job in 1998 and that yes. was the, the first HR interview. In 2001, I became independent. And uh, by 2004, 2005, I had a bunch of people around me. And then um, by 2011, I left for Singapore. And in Singapore, I had this 
I mean, my mission was start Delaware Southeast Asia and make it a successful company. Yeah. Yes. And I had my own company before in Europe. And there I had this very nice group of people that we understood without too much words and so forth. So in my perception, this was the way that life worked. Hmm. And um, I started here in Singapore in 2011. And um, we had a good offering and we had decent partnerships and we very quickly grew. By 2014, we were about 200 people in the region. We had Singapore, Malaysia, Philippines, and we were like, business was booming. And by 2015, um, we were 350 people in the region. And wow. still, I had this feeling thing is going well and, and, and so forth. But then um, we bumped into some walls. Yeah. And from 2016 to 2018, 2019 almost, um, we had to clean up the, the damage of the contracts that we failed to deliver in 2015. Wow. Um, so in 2015, we signed off on three major engagements. And that faint idea that I had that organizations naturally form and people understand each other and so forth. Well, as long as we were riding the wave of success in the beginning, everything was cool and everyone was happy and we were going and so forth. But then the moment that we ended up in trouble, suddenly everything crumbled. Yeah. And in my previous experience in, in, uh, in that multinational company where I worked between 2001 and 2011 with the people around me, we also had tough times. But we understood each other and we yeah. backed each other and we made things happen. And here, the moment that things went tough, suddenly the whole thing fell apart. And um, we went, we, we basically, oh, I think we, at our peak, we were 350 people. And then two years later, we were only 170 or something. So we halved in size. Wow. Um, and in the meanwhile, we were struggling through these projects, trying to get things done and so forth. And this is actually the period when I started to think on how did we get here and what did I do wrong? Um, and why did my previous company work so naturally well? And, and why didn't it work well this time around? And, um, and that's when actually I started to read a lot about um, different organizational models, um, expectation frameworks, and so forth. So I don't know if you um, if you're aware of um, a book called Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Lalou. Um, no, that is a not, book that I'd basically. To, um, yeah, I'd love for you to uh, sort of unpack the um, the yeah the key ideas in it. That'd be great. So this is the. Um, um, this is a book that I was recommended by a guy in McKinsey. And um, because we had these discussions that we were trying to figure out where, uh, where we had issues that we needed to solve in our organization. Uh, and and the, it was clear we had faced some troubles and I didn't want to get, get in the, the same situation again. And then I, I talked to the McKinsey guys and they gave me this recommendation. Yes. Now, um, the reinventing organizations is one of several similar types of books that talks about self-steering organizations. Now, um, in the case of reinventing organizations, 
Frederic Laloux creates, um, let's say, a construct or a framework that gives you an understanding how organizations evolved over time and how different organizational structures have supported um, different natural evolutions of mankind. And to give you an idea, when we were a roving band um, and we were hunter-gatherers, you needed um, a very strong leader that basically top down told people just what to do. And then yes. the moment that we, we went from this to towns and cities and so forth, the governance structures changed and the organizational models changed and so forth. Now, one of the things that we see a lot in the last, well, since the industrialization, um, with the industrialization came standardization of processes. And yes. um, on in the management area, you would um, you had uh, Peter Drucker that started to describe how you have blue collar, white collar, and, and different types of management styles there. Now, um, during the industrial area, um, you had the leader who thinks and the executor who basically just does what he is being told. Yeah. And, um, it's a model that for me is not successful anymore. Um, I mean, it will work in certain situations and certain areas, but um, it has a, a major shortcoming in the sense that every person has value and has ideas which you could, um, which you could use to improve your situation. Yeah. If these can be shared and, and, and evaluated on how they can improve things and so forth. And if you just tell people, this is what you need to do, then you kind of miss out on all of that. Yes. And um, in the book of, um, of Frederick Laloux, so in, in Reinventing Organizations, he says these organizations, he calls them orange organizations. Uh, they basically look at an organization like a machine and the different elements in the organization, the people that work in it, they are um, interchangeable. Uh, you have a job description. The job description, you need to do A, B, C. We go to the market, we hire, we plug it in, and we think it works like that. And to some extent it does, but very often you miss out on a lot of things as well. And um, where Delaware is as an organization with its intent uh, on, on how to operate is we don't want to be that machine. We want to be more like what Frederick Laloux describes as a teal organization. And mm. a teal organization is an organization where you have all people that participate in the organization are individuals which have a very varied set of skills which can be applied given specific context. and can be selected given a specific context. So to give you an idea, um, let's say we are faced with a new type of project. And um, as a project organization, we have certain systems and procedures to standardize how we execute things. But very often, we need particular skill sets to do certain things. And if we are faced with a new project, the first thing that would happen in a TL organization is um, you don't write specific job descriptions, but you go and look for this person knows that, that person knows that, and so forth. And you create a task force to go and execute your project. Now, this sounds, I think, quite um, 
normal in, in terms of any organization. But the difference for us is we can do this for a particular customer engagement, but we can basically do this for any type of activity that we have in our organization. And we will entitle people that be, uh, that are part of this task force to take decisions within that particular area. And we don't need, um, we don't need things to go up several levels in terms of preparing a presentation, getting a validation and getting the buy-in and so forth. If we have the task force that executes these things, then um, we believe that the task force does this on behalf of the organization and then do the, they do this with the best of intent. And then they can basically just execute without much, um, without much global control. Um, so we try to be a very flat organization with people that makes decisions right in the front line. And that is what is called a teal organization. You have mm. systems and processes that allow you to, well, to be, to have people uh, be their own boss to a certain extent in certain areas and to have a much more granular um, set of leaders than you have in a classic organization. Because yes. every topic will have its task force. And instead of in a classic organization, you maybe have 50 managers. But if you look at a, a teal organization, you may have 150 leaders for smaller tasks because these leaders are more apt for that particular function and so forth. So it's more granular. And mm. um, the whole idea with this is that people will feel more fulfillment if they can do the things that they are good at and that they are interested in. And, and you typically see that if indeed people feel comfortable functioning like this, they get more out of life because it's, it's kind of um, a fulfillment of their personal purpose. They feel more involved and that's nice because we only have one life in the end. Yeah. Um, why are we here? We are here to do things that give us fulfillment. And if someone tells me you do this today, well, maybe it's going to work for me or maybe I can do it, but it doesn't necessarily rock my boat. While yes. if I do these things where I really believe I make a difference, then I go home and I go like, yeah, you know, this was actually a good day. You get home, you come with your family, you had a good day, you're in a good mood. You don't have this extreme separation between your private life and your work because it's all your life and, and it's all meaningful and not just a private time with your family. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think is I, I love the uh, perspective that you're uh, that you're bringing around it. I think for me, it makes perfect sense because when you when you think of uh, you know a couple of my favorite books of recent times around employee engagement, there's a book by Patrick Lencioni, uh, which is uh, the truth about employee engagement, and he talks about. Um, anonymity being a real killer of engagement when people feel anonymous, um, immeasurability when they don't feel like they can measure what they're doing, and irrelevance. And I think what you're uh, what you're talking about there, particularly this idea of irrelevance. If it, what what people if people are going to be engaged today in 2021 and in the future, there has to be a sense that what they're doing is is relevant in terms of making a difference. Um, or Daniel Pink talks about it in um, in his book Drive from you know ten years ago or more. But he talks about 
uh, autonomy, mastery, and creativity, this idea that if people can master something, so if you can really, and that's why I, I feel like it makes so much sense what you're saying, you're talking about people really honing their skills and being given space to really operate in an area where they're highly skilled, that's mastery. And the creativity and the autonomy comes when you say, you, okay, we're actually going to empower you to work out what you're going to be a part of and how you're going to go about it. That ticks all the boxes. They're, they're getting to be um, autonomous. Uh, they're going to be able to master what they're doing. And, uh, and there's the creativity to be able to actually create the plan and execute it without needing to consistently go through bottlenecks um, of management. So it's no surprise to me that that, um, even though the way you've unpacked that is new, I think the ideas for me, I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense. I can see why people would love working in a culture like that. Well, it's, um, it, it's the thing that I very strongly believe in as well. But at the same time, um, I see in Singapore in specific, mm. um, it's not always as easy as it at first sight would seem to introduce uh, this, this line of thinking. Um, so what, what complicates matters a lot uh, here is uh, the, the, the difference in cultural backgrounds between people. And yes. Singapore is, is truly multicultural. Huh? Um, I mean, mm. we have mainland Chinese, we have uh, Singaporeans, which are very, um, very structured, which have, uh, have been, um, I mean, both mainland Chinese and Singaporeans have a very strong drive. Uh, the parents really emphasize on um, achievement and so forth. So they, they really have this strong focus to, to uh, achieve. Um, yes. But it's all guided. Huh? And um, what, what you see in a model like the one that we envision is um, people have freedom and um, with freedom comes responsibility. But sometimes it's not always easy to understand what to do with that freedom. Because if you've <laughs> always been guided and told, then, then suddenly you have this vacuum and you go like, oh, well, what, now what? And um, what we've been doing in, in Delaware is we've, we've tried to start at the beginning. Um, and for me, the beginning is making people actually think about themselves on yes. what they want out of their life and why they are part of our company. So we are, and I mean, my colleague always mentions that today it gets mentioned way too much, um, but we are a purpose-led organization. Now, what what does that mean? Um, it's basically, in, in I'm, I'm not gonna highlight our purpose as such, but in a nutshell, um, in Delaware, we are a privately held organization and we are just a bunch of people who want to play with technology, make a difference in the world and a positive contribution. And we want to have our people feel fulfilled and have them grow. And that's kind of what we want with our organization. And if we do these things, then we believe that because people are fulfilled and happy, that we will achieve good results. And so far, I think we have our ups and downs. 
But since we became an independent organization in 2003, we have 22% compound annual growth. We went from 150 people then, we're about 3,000 people around the globe now. So I think it looks like our assumptions seem to hold out for now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so with, with, with that in mind, it's, um, it's something that it should work. But here in Singapore, I'm still struggling to find out how that is going to go. And making people think about their initial purpose is, is, is a first step. And from there, we try to go to these self-steering uh, principles and, and the other lines of, of thinking that you need to be able to operate like this. What's the best thing that you've done in this area where you feel like it's it's produced the most fruit or you've, you've seen the most breakthrough? If you think, oh, that one strategy or that one, uh, when we started doing this, that really helped us really, um, you know, gain a lot of momentum. Because I imagine that uh, something like this you would have done, you know, there'd be hundreds of different elements that you would have been introducing piece by piece by piece. But is there anything in particular that you've done through this process that you've really seen has uh, has been particularly effective? Yeah, um, and this is something that we, we just, uh, maybe six months ago, um, we got into a series of workshops with small groups of people. Mm. And um, we started asking questions rather than um, giving an explanation. So it's it's interesting that if, I mean, with all the reading that I've done in different areas, I mean, your head is full with all these ideas <laughs> and you become like um, uh, an evangelist and you're happy to share, right? Yeah. And, um, and I found that even though you're passionate and you're sharing and, and sometimes it's like you're talking against the wall and people mm. don't get you. Um, and they're nice enough and they listen, but it doesn't penetrate. And then um, six months ago, um, one of my colleagues actually uh, organized a meeting with a small group. It's our purpose task force. And then um, um, she invited me to that session as well. And I just sat in and I we agreed that I would keep quiet. And that's not easy for me, um, but <laughs> I, I agreed to that. And um, she starts asking questions and she basically built her series of questions in such a way that at the end of the session, people had their own realization, um, which led them onto the right path of where yes. we wanted to do, them to go. And um, this was like, for me, a very um well it's like an aha moment huh yeah um it's uh it's enlightening and it was very enjoyable to see people going through that process struggling and instead of giving them the answer letting them struggle and let the, and asking an additional question to maybe have them trigger something else and so forth but then the moment they get there and this was just this was a one and a half hour session it's not like we spend the whole day there and yeah. there was so much progress in a short while by asking questions instead of feeding information and and, and that's i mean the that was the mo single most effective thing that i've seen 
in the whole period that we're working with this, and this is like two and a half years. Wow, incredible. Uh, what Are there any questions that come to mind that through this process you've found, wow, that particular question is an absolute gold mine that you can share? You know, I know for me, say as an example, to give you a second to, <laughs> to think about that, but um, one of the questions that, and I've heard it from lots of different places, but it's become just one of my favorites is this idea of what else or anything else. I know it sounds so simple, but uh, I feel like if every leader can have what else or is there anything else, you know, in your pocket, it means when you're, sometimes you're stumped, you know, you're facilitating something. For me, I, you know, because I do a lot of facilitation and sometimes you think, hmm, I'm not sure about where to go, <laughs> where to go next. And, uh, and I love asking a group or an individual, yeah, okay, what else? And it's amazing how the human brain works, how people go, oh, well, I hadn't thought of anything else, but then they stop and think and it opens these really interesting avenues. So is there, is there anything like that, that through this process, as you've started uh, facilitating these workshops where you ask questions, are there any questions in particular that you've found you come back to again and again? Well, um, I, I, I know in that session that we did, we applied the 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 technique of the the four uh whys so yeah. the first answer will typically not be the one that you're looking for but people don't realize and um as you keep on going asking why then they go one level deeper and the discussion becomes more interesting um but you need to keep on asking uh so that's an interesting technique that we that we used quite effectively yeah. yeah, I love that. I love, uh, I think it's um, Simon Sinek in Start With Why and Find Your Why. I think he talks about that, but also Patrick Lencioni, who I love everything he does in um, The Advantage, his whole way of helping an organization articulate its purpose is to keep asking why. So I do the same thing when I'm actually facilitating an offsite and helping a board or an executive team really articulate the organization's purpose. Um, and not create the purpose because it's already it's always already there. I love the purpose you articulated around Delaware. There's some great um, thoughts in there that are that for me just goes yeah that makes perfect sense of why people would want to partner with that. But um, yeah, the the thing I do and it's I don't know if you find this as well, but sometimes people's initial reaction when you say okay, but why why is that important or why are you so passionate about that or just when you when you ask for this other layer, sometimes there's sort of this groan of because it's really hard work. But it's so worth it. Once you start digging and asking why again and again and again, it is incredible where you end up. It's so surprising. Um, I, I, I'm reminded of a Patrick Lencioni story that he tells around uh, a, a company that, uh, that I think did driveways or paving or some, something like that. It was, it was a, um, I think they did uh, paved driveways. And so they were doing this process, you know, they had obviously uh, really grown a lot and they really wanted to understand for all of their staff and as they went to another level as an organization, what was their purpose? Why do they exist? And they went through this process and they said, well, why do we, for, the, for you know, Lencioni talks about asking the question, why do we exist? And even though it's at an organizational level, I think it's the same principle as, uh, as doing it with individuals. And, uh, and so this CEO and the executive team, and, and they were sitting together and they said, well, I guess, you know, to, uh, to help people, you know, to build them great driveways. And so that's where they started. And they said, yeah, but why? 
<laughs> and they went, oh, okay. And so they kept thinking about it. And where they ended up is they realized that for them as an organization, their real why and their real purpose was about their employees. For, for them, as much as their, you know, the, what they did and how they did it was about great driveways and amazing, you know, uh, beautiful paved driveways that you know, ticked a lot of boxes and that really helped people out. Their deepest level of why was actually about, and it came back to the founding story of the company, which I always find helpful, you know, really came back to the CEO wanting to be able to employ and wanting, wanting to be able to help out some people around him and give them a job and give them, help them fulfill their potential and invest in them. And that was their why. But they only realized that from asking that question again and again and again. Sounds recognizable. I, I didn't know this this particular story, but yeah, it's it it does um it does mean a lot of work to dig and to discuss. And these discussions are not always easy. Um I see that a lot. I mean in the first discussions that we had in in Delaware here, um, asking people why are you here? Um, oh. Look, as as when you look at Delaware as an organization, um, we want to do things with people that we like, and um, we want to help each other and take care of each other and and all these kind of things. Um, yes. But we're not an organization that is necessarily fit for everyone, and it starts on why are you here. And then um, after we had these these purpose discussions, a couple of months later, we had several people that actually decided to leave and go and do something else because after these discussions, they realized, yeah, maybe this is not my place. And and that is also, it's an interesting and positive outcome for me because these people, um, giving them insights in what they want in life is is great because the moment that they start to live their life um, according to something that they really believe in, it's going to be more meaningful for them. And that's, that's in the end, all that we want to achieve, right? I mean, yeah. we, we work with people and we all have one life and um, we need to let that make that count. And, and um, whether it is as part of my organization or elsewhere, I mean, everyone needs to figure that out for themselves. But we need to ask these questions and we need to be conscious about it. And and then looking at leadership, um, that is what we, I think, should try to achieve. And what we should aspire is making people around us aware of where they want to go in life and so forth. And that is the ideas that we need to nurture. Yeah, I feel like there's, um, you know, there's a few different authors who, who talk about that as level five leadership or the uh, John Maxwell and um, I can't think of, I think Jim Collins talks about something similar. It's not quite the same, but I, I agree. I think it's the really the highest level of leadership is where, and this is where I, I always ask people, you know, who is the leader that's had the biggest impact on you? And it always, it always comes back to, you know, it's never about how competent they were at what they did. It's always about how they connected with that, with that person they were leading. It's always about how they led them, how they led the person, how they invested in that person. That's what makes a difference. And um, I think that's, well, the other things are important as well, but that's the ultimate sort of expression of leadership. Uh, well, what I'd love to do, Christoph, uh, is 
uh, I feel like there's so much more we could get into and I really want to do it uh, justice because I, I, I'm really interested in asking you more about, I guess, some of your uh, specialty, you know, some of your skills uh, around the area that you're in and around leadership in, in, in IT. And um, I've got so many questions around that, but I really want to do that justice. So maybe maybe what we can do is down the track, I'd love to invite you back for a, uh, a follow-up and we can do a second episode and explore some of those some of those topics we haven't really had time to delve into today. I would, um, I would absolutely love that. Yeah, I liked the conversation a lot today. It was interesting. I also picked up uh, quite a, uh, a few new things. I wrote down some names and stuff like that. So I have some new literature that I can go and dig into. So yeah, of course, why not? Yeah, so <laughs> I have to admit, I wrote down uh, a quick reminder in my phone to check out Reinventing Organizations. I've, I love books like that. And I've actually been, uh, I, I'm fascinated, and I think you are too, around how organizational structures and, and creating culture can shape uh, everything when it comes to organizations. And, and uh, so that's going on my list. Uh, so yeah, right, uh, right back at you. Thank you for that recommendation. Uh, did you have any final thoughts uh, for listeners before we wrap up today? Um, well, actually, I'm... I would just reiterate on, on one thing, which is um, we all have one life and let's spend it with the people that we, we like and um, let's help people explore and, and find where they want to go because not everyone can do that on their own. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, I, what was a, what was a uh, I think it was a Viktor Frankl uh, quote that I heard someone say recently, and, and I hadn't actually heard this. Uh, I, I've read the book Viktor Frankl um, wrote, who was a survivor of, uh, of the Holocaust. And, uh, but they said this thing of, of living this life as if it's your second go and, and you failed at the first attempt. <laughs> as if, you know, imagine you had, a, you had one go and you got to go all the way through and then miraculously you were able to come back and actually have a second go at it. How would you live, how would you live differently? And I feel like it's... Uh, just a, one of those fun little um, imagination sort of things to go, yeah, you're right. We do just have this one life. What does it look like to live it in the most meaningful way possible with the people we want to spend it with? I think that's a wonderful place to land. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Really appreciate your time. And, uh, and thank you once again to Christoph Durdane. I've really uh, appreciated the conversation. I've enjoyed it and I know it will help uh, a lot of people out there. So thank you, Christoph. You're welcome. Thanks for everyone for listening and thank you, Jono, for the opportunity to talk. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. 
I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you 
to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.